Hi everyone, I'm Rebecca Gagan, and this is Waving Not Drowning, a UVic Bounce podcast. Today's episode is being recorded on the unceded and unsurrendered territories of the Wasanich and Lekwungen peoples. In today's episode, I talk with Kava Tegrobi, an instructor in the academic and technical writing program here at UVic, where he teaches Engineering 110. Kava is also an English as an additional language specialist at the Center for Academic Communication. In our conversation, Kava and I will talk about the challenge of establishing working and studying routines when the hours and days and weeks all seem to blend into a single moment. We'll also talk about Kava's experience as an international student at UVic, where he was pursuing his second master's degree in English literature. Kava will share how, from that experience, he learned of the importance of asking questions and asking those questions even through the fear and the shame of doing so. I'm Rebecca Gagan, here today with Kava Tagrobi, and this is Waving, Not Drowning. Hi, Kava. It's such a pleasure to have you here today to talk with me. How are you doing? Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. Well, the past few months uh, have been good and bad. I first thought I would really enjoy working from home and having more freedom with my time, which I did for a while. But as probably has been the case for many, it has posed its challenges as well. Uh, I, I found that I am missing a routine. COVID has made school and work once separate parts of my life into a fuzzy continuum. And my workday that used to be structured in numerous separate events, uh, kind of punctuated by other activities, as you know, like, you know, walk on campus, running into colleagues, yeah. getting lunch, now seems to be a whole day block. So, I mean, before I would take some time in the morning, get ready, pack my lunch and snacks, get in the car, uh, listen to a podcast on my way to work. And as I walked to the library, climbed the stairs, fourth floor, put my lunch in the fridge, then work, then, then a break, run, you know, run, run into someone in the hall, have a conversation. And the day we went on like that. But now I would wake up in the morning, get out of bed and would go to my computer two meters away in my pajamas. I yeah. mean, uh, that's almost it. I wouldn't take a break or just go back to the bed if I do, lying down, scrolling through the phone. And uh, that has been almost every day. I mean, I've noticed that my days in lockdown can easily blend together uh, if I'm not actively preventing that. So yeah, it's been good and bad. It's been, so, there have been some difficulties. I, I'm not um, all complaining. I mean, it's really given me flexibility to work from home yeah but uh but like i said uh the the blend actually uh seems to become you know something that i i need to think about well and i i think for you know faculty and students alike right that i think the blend as you call it i i was uh, talking with a, a colleague yesterday who described it as the feeling of um I think he said like a highway hypnosis where you're driving in the dark and there's just a sense of, you know, everything blurring together, as you say, right, that you, um, I mean, they've been talking a lot about pandemic time, right, as a, a kind of phenomenon that, you know, we don't know what day it is, but 
I think, uh, Kava, you're getting at something that a, a lot of students have probably experienced this year in particular, right? That there's, you know, when you say you, you, you get out of bed and your working day starts two meters away, you know, <laughs> at the computer. And uh, I certainly have experienced that as well. I, you know, I just go downstairs um, to my uh, makeshift office and, um, yeah, and some days it just feels as if, all, you just work all the time because you can't get away from work because it's the computer that is there sort of just flashing at you or whatever, right? And so mm -hmm. that is, as you say, I think for students too who are working in their homes and sometimes, you know, in their family homes and, you know, they shut their bedroom door, it's where they sleep and try to rest and recharge but it's also where they are working, you know, 10, sometimes 12 hours a day at their schoolwork. And so it's so hard to find rest. So what have you done, Kava, to try to just cope with this this past year? Yeah, so like those were the first month, you know, what I said about uh, like um, waking up and getting into work mode immediately. And yes, recently I have tried to uh, to create a work routine um, like wake up in the morning and besides the usual routines that I have anyways, um, I also start getting dressed, you know, even if I do not have Zoom calls. I know it might feel good to have a casual day every now and then, like work in your uh, PJs, but I have noticed that missing out on the morning routine for a long time can make me feel a bit low in spirits. So yeah. it does not have to be a full dress up, but putting on my watch <laughs> or buttoning up my shirt like signals to my brain that I'm entering a different domain. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Doesn't have to be a full dress up. I haven't done a full dress up in like almost a year. So, uh, but a partial dress up, as you say, is is good. <laughs> yeah, you know, simple things. Uh, I, I've also tried doing work at the time and pace that I normally do. You know, when when you're on your own time, it might be tempting to to cram work. <laughs> Maybe get up later in the morning and then work into the evening, you know, like cramming while studying, students yeah. might do. And uh, actually, there are some discussions about students cramming a course now that is all, all available on Brightspace, uh, you know, in the new online environment. And it okay. can be useful sometimes, but I think it's important to have a normal balanced pace. Uh, you know, both both for work and study. So I've been trying to make sure that I work like uh, like time I was in the office um, with a similar pace and rhythm. I mean, I sometimes make my days a bit longer with meaningful activities kind of sprinkled throughout, like uh, take extra 15 minutes, you know, here to exercise or do the laundry or play with my cats and then work a bit longer in the afternoon. But generally, I've benefited from starting and finishing within the boundaries of an eight they uh, sorry an eight hour uh day give and take and this is not just to ensure that i work more effectively but also making sure that i remember to take meaningful breaks mm -hmm. you know uh not just scrolling on my phone and my desk or eating while i'm still reading emails but but breaks in which i do something healthy or fun like making a cup of tea or having that on the balcony or during longer lunch break going for a walk around the neighborhood and um yeah, one that has actually helped me to regain my rhythm is being the Pomodoro technique, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The brilliant idea of using a kitchen timer to work for 25 minutes and then taking a short five-minute break or a longer 10-minute break. Uh, it helped me write my thesis, and it now helps me structure my day 
working for 25 minutes and then taking a five minute break works perfectly for someone like me who gets bored and agitated pretty quickly. It's a way of getting work done in relatively small increments. And I think for everyone else, it can be a way of structuring time and keeping track of progress. It's kind of nice to think of your day in terms of like six, eight, 12. Like chunks, yeah. Yeah, tomato-shaped kitchen timers. I actually used to give myself <laughs> Pomodoro stickers uh, for each 25 minutes that I was writing my thesis. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, I use it for my writing in the beginning and still recommend it to students who are writing longer pieces like a thesis right. or dissertation. But it can be a way to structure, you know, any work uh, and get any uh, type of work done, including um, the work that I do. So it comes down to having a rhythm in working, like for me to to try to separate, you know, life and work. Um, it's almost like remembering to breathe regularly and at appropriate intervals, you know. What I don't want to happen is my days blending into one, a routine that is... Um, Variable enough helps me do that. This is why sometimes I become a bit of a, you know, Sheldon Cooper, like a character in a Big Bang Theory, you know, Wednesdays are laundry day and I have right. the pizza nights on Thursdays. Uh, so very rigid, like you start to, you, you've had to, it sounds, Kava, impose this with, with a lot of intention, right? Like impose this structure. And then as you're saying, be kind of rigid about it, like sticking sticking to it because mm -hmm. in the absence of, of all of that and i think what you're also saying kava is that the no, quote unquote sort of the normal routines that would um you know just going to class as you say and how the that schedule would really structure you at when you're on campus and all of those things in the absence of all of that it's really up to you to to impose that structure mm -hmm. onto your day and that that becomes then a way of of really coping i used to tease my husband who is now working at home and he would always work at an office from about 8 30 to 6. and when we started in into lockdown and working from home i i would tease him because he would he would always get the full dress up right <laughs> and i'm like why are you doing that like why aren't you wearing your cozy pants and i even bought him some like you know um cozy pants to wear but he wouldn't and i see now that for him just as you have said kava it's about you your brain gets a signal right like when you get dressed you get ready it's like okay now i'm moving out of this kind of rest mode mm -hmm. i'm moving into work mode and then at the end of the day you know, maybe then I'll put on my PJ pads and mm -hmm. then my brain gets another signal that that work is done and that that has to be done. So did you do anything about having your computer like two feet from your bed? <laughs> yeah, so definitely I've tried to distinguish work and home, you know, by creating a dedicated workspace. I'm working on it, but um, uh, it's still it's still going on. I used to work from our bedroom because that's where I could close the door on our cats and have my quote unquote <laughs> professional space. But eventually I found that that did not work for me. I mean, it contributed to the blend with the capital B of work and home. I basically spent my whole day in the bedroom working, laying, you know, taking lazy breaks, working again and then in the evening. Well, that's where I would be again. And the certainly blurred parts of the day was a factor when I started to experience more anxiety and fatigue. And it was kind of as if I was associating the place with stress from work. And I guess an amount of stress is always there with work. But when you leave your office at the end of the day, you kind of lock it in there, or at least to a degree. 
So why now I think that the bedroom should not be my workplace if possible. Yeah. I have not done it yet, but I hope by partitioning my space, I can let work be work and rest be rest. And you know how important it is for rest to be rest yeah. and for work to be good quality work. They usually talk about the importance of preparing your environment in a way that you do not always have to fight temptations like checking your phone or being distracted by children and pets. After all, I think we all have a limited amount of willpower and we will need that for critical situations. It's probably easier to take an untimely nap when you are working next to your bet or the ubiquitous temptation to check your phone would be easier to avoid if you're not, uh, you know, you don't have your phone in the same room where you're working, unless you need to be on a call for an urgent reason. But you know what I mean, optimize the environment in a way that uh, you have the best productivity. And I think ultimately it comes down to separating work and rest spaces. So this has been always important, but I find it's a lot more important during COVID. So that's what I'm planning on moving uh, to our den. And uh, today is the first time I'm recording from the den. Uh, I actually have ordered some selfie ring lights on Amazon with a mini tripod or phone holder, or whatever. And I yeah. will uh, retreat downstairs as a, as a first step. Yeah. Well, and I think um, likewise here, I have, you know, moved downstairs and um, uh, my husband works down here as well. So we, we've kind of made the downstairs, even though we haven't been able to block out pets, <laughs> just barge in and have fights and everything. But um, I do find that helpful. So then I know when I go upstairs that that's kind of rest time and break time. And yeah, keeping keeping the bedroom as a place for rest. And I think that um, it's well documented that throughout all of this, uh, students and, and everyone has been having a lot of trouble with sleep uh, and rest and trying to um, recharge. And so I think that's excellent advice, uh, Kava, to try to create a space that's designated for rest and a space that's designated yes. for work. And that my my feeling, and I could be wrong, is that this work to impose routines um, and scheduling in that way to really benefit one's uh, mental health and, and well-being, those habits, their habits, I think you're sort of speaking to, Kava, that will carry over to a time when perhaps we're not working this way, mm -hmm. right? Like there are established ways of working that many students have to negotiate anyway when they come to university uh, or at some point in their undergrad, right? So um, really good habits to to um, separate out those spaces. So I think your advice uh, and sharing your own experience on this is so helpful for also for the for the long run, right? So coping mechanisms or coping skills now, but then they will be in place to really help, I think, uh, students thrive in, mm -hmm. in the future, right? When they need to be able to establish those routines. So, so Kevin, you know um, that you're, you know, I sort of asked you here to, today for, for lots of reasons, but in part because I was hoping you might be able to um, share with us some of your own experiences as an undergrad or as a grad student and experiences in particular with challenge and difficulty you've mm -hmm. found and this podcast is really focused on trying to share these stories so that students, um, you know, across the campus and with all different um, needs uh, can realize or hopefully feel that they are not alone in experiencing some of the difficulties and that 
our sharing of these stories will make it easier for for them to to reach out. So we know each other, so I know a little bit of your story, but uh, I would just be so pleased if you could could share with us some of your own experiences. As a student, right? So yeah, yeah definitely. I have been in school for a long time. <laughs> Went to the first grade in 1990, thinking I hated school, pledging to leave school as a six-year-old, but I'm still here 30 years later. <laughs> Um, and I've always been considered, you know, um, good, like somebody who, you know, eventually liked school, a good student, I guess, going through ranks right, right one by one. But to be honest, I've always had my challenges. Uh, I think I've tried and maybe succeeded, not because there's been smooth sailing, but despite obstacles, and I would say internal resistance to the structures of traditional education, generally school as an institution, especially when I was uh, in Iran before coming to Canada. And since, since moving here, I found myself in more harmony with the learning and teaching style, and it keeps making more sense as I go on, uh, especially as an educator. But even here, a new set of challenges emerged, especially in the beginning when I started. When you first came came here or when you were in Iran, Kava? Uh, when, when I first came here. So I started my second master's at UVic in 2013 after I moved here from Iran. Uh, I already had a master's in English literature and I had been an English instructor for 10 years, helping students who were preparing to continue their studies in an English speaking university. So I kind of thought that I would not have many challenges as an international student, but boy, was I wrong. <laughs> There were there's a lot of things that I would find challenging, figuring out the new educational system, you know, academic expectations, new assignment types, genres of writing, and even English proficiency, which I thought was my biggest strength. I even started doubting that. I mean, you teach IELTS and TOEFL for years, and then you come to an English-speaking country thinking you'd be on par with everyone else, but then you see that there is still a gap that can really make your imposter syndrome flare up. I remember constantly apologizing my profs that my writing or speaking was not good enough. It did not matter how many times they told me that I was a good writer and communicator. It was as if I had much more expectations of myself uh, than everyone else did. So that experience has made me so much more aware of student concerns about their skills not being good enough and, uh, and sympathetic to their fears and concerns. Uh, now that I work at the, at the Center for Academic Communications, all the time I come across students who have a lot of anxiety about, uh, you know, not being able to fulfill requirements, whether it's English proficiency for, you know, international students, those who have English as an additional language, academic writing, critical thinking, etc. And I always make sure to take the time to remind them that no one expects them to be perfect and that they are doing fine as long as they are, you know, on a path of improving their skills and building on whatever foundation they have. I also think sometimes just being aware of shortcomings is, is enough to give you an advantage even over those who are ahead of you. Uh, that has at least been, you know, my experience with academic work, especially academic writing, since English is not my first language, and since I experienced a bit of shock after moving to Canada, realizing I still could improve my communication skills, I have become uh, so much more self-conscious of my, for example, language use, especially when writing. And that has helped me actually be a pretty 
good writer, if I may <laughs> say so myself. <laughs> I often tell my students in my engineering 110 class that you might find it interesting that English is not my first language. And then add, which might make you go, wait, what? English is not his first language. And he ended up being an English teacher. Well, here we are. And uh, then explain that although I might not know, you know, every every word or expression or grammatical rule, I have the power to use resources to revise my work and revise it again and again and again. And I joke and I say, this is a superpower. I'm a, a super reviser. Give me a pencil and a draft. You know, that that's what writing we think is. Writing is revising. And, um, and I think this resonates with a lot of students, both EAL and non-EAL, because let's face it, academic writing is no one's first language and acknowledging the fact that most of us do not intuitively get it and there is always the option of playing it safe and checking everything gives comfort to many students. We often, like I said, we say writing is revising and not just revising, but you know, planning, drafting and revising. It's a process. And there are many steps between the final product and the starting point. So following these steps can help anyone achieve great writing success. It does not matter how much you know about punctuation or APA off the top of your head. If you know, you know where you can get information and you have developed a habit of uh, looking things up and being careful, you can nail it. And I think generally, this is something that many students can use in many different aspects, not just writing, uh, that it's okay if there are shortcomings. Uh, know that there are resources out there and that it's about using those resources and constantly working on your skills to gradually improve them. No one expects us to get things right the first time. The real answer is knowing strategies and uh, using resources to keep improving your work. It's not about knowing everything, but knowing how to find out. Yeah, and Kava, I think, I mean, one of the things that you've just said here is so important, I, I think, for students to, to really take in. And I say this to my own students, but when you said, um, first of all, no one expects you to be perfect and to have it all figured out, right? When you start the work mm -hmm. of engaging with academic writing and, and trying to do that, that especially when you're new to the university, uh, and I would say, um, as you've said, it doesn't just apply to students for whom, you know, English is an additional language or international students, um, but many students, um, enter into a university feeling as this pressure as if somehow they should already know how to do this work of academic writing and then um and get it perfect like the first time and so i certainly say mm -hmm. to my students no like we get it like we know that you have to learn these skills and so this is why perhaps assignments are low stakes, you know, tailored so that students have room for error. And I think something that you're getting at Kava that is so important, maybe you can say a bit more about this, is that um, as a way of sort of combating um, imposter syndrome in, in a way, right, that, that you've talked about, it's a kind of compassion for oneself where you recognize that um you you can make mistakes that that you you can be imperfect mm -hmm. that you, there's so much room there i love the idea of 
um, revising, right? And and the, the super reviser mm-hmm. that you can take that approach to your <laughs> to your studies as a whole and, and to your life, right? That you're constantly bit by bit working to make changes to to improve. Um, I'm just going to start thinking of myself as a super reviser in all aspects, Kava. <laughs> exactly. Like I said, it doesn't really have to be about writing. I come from a writing background and this is how I think. And this is where my examples come from. But it can really be in any aspect of, you know, university work or even outside of that, you know, uh, knowing that we can take things one step at a time and and uh, access resources. That's the other very important piece, you know, uh, not knowing is not a sin, not asking question might be one, you know, you, you have to get out there and see what's available, get the services, uh, know the services that are available, and then start accessing them. And then little by little, and, you know, step by step, you, you can you can create something, build something. And that's the idea. So Kevin, what would you maybe say to students who, um, are unsure, you know, nervous to ask for help or, um, you know, in the position that maybe you were in when you first came to UVic from Iran and, and, and sort of grappling with the, that feeling of, of not being good enough or, uh, suddenly doubting yourself, what, what kind of uh, words might you offer to, to a student, whether they're, you know, living through the pandemic, uh, or even if this is a, another time, which we hope that different time will come sooner rather than later. But uh, I'm just wondering what, what kinds of things you might say to that student. Well, first of all, I want to say you're not alone. And uh, a lot of us might feel that way. And uh, getting help is not easy. Uh, I just I just want to say that I understand that you might struggle in the beginning to access resources. That's what happened to me. Like simple things like, um, like I said, asking questions, getting help from the services available. Um, as I said, I was a teacher for years and I actually taught writing before coming here. And I really thought that I was supposed to know everything. So I did not get help with my schoolwork, especially as an English major. I remember in my first term at UVEC, I had many questions about writing papers and I knew there was a writing center, but I did not even consider going there. Uh, Remember eventually I emailed an upper year grad student in English department uh, whom I knew and uh, was working at the center at that time. And, and I asked them to send me some sample papers. I mean, I really could not bring myself to go and get help when I needed it, only because I thought I was supposed to know the answers. Uh, and different people might have different reasons for not uh, getting help, but that was mine. And, um, and that was for getting help from resources outside the course, like the writing center. But I even had reservations about getting help from inside the course, like from our professors, uh, especially because of different academic cultures and uh, the rather limited availability of faculty in Iran. I was always worried that I would be, quote unquote, bothering my profs by asking them too many questions. I remember emailing uh, Stephen Ross, who uh, was, by the way, one of my best teachers and mentors in English department. And at the end of the email, I apologized uh, for, for asking too many basic or obvious questions. And he said, 
that he'd rather answer questions now uh, than have to mark a paper that simply proceeded without knowing what to do later. And that he actually wished more people would ask first instead of waiting to see if they got it right later. And uh, this really stuck with me. And not only did it help me to start getting more regular help, but to this day, I try to have the same approach with my students, trying to show them that their communication is more than welcome, it's encouraged, and uh, that no question is too small to ask, and that we are here to help them. And I find that students really uh, appreciate this too. Yes, and I think uh, I love this story of um, uh, the wonderful Stephen Ross, uh, you know, just reminding you and encouraging you to, to ask questions. I think sometimes students don't feel that, that, uh, that, that we understand, and that's what we're here for, right? We're here as faculty to, uh, to answer questions, and we have been in the position also of being very nervous to ask questions for fear that we might um, expose ourselves as, you know, not knowing enough or, and especially as a, as a grad student, but certainly undergrads, I know, feel this way too, mm -hmm. right? That, well, if I, what if this is a, a silly question or a stupid question, mm -hmm. or maybe there's some sense that I should already know this, right? And so um, I, I love this, uh, these words of support, Kava, because I think it, it um, is so important for students to know this, and it can be about academic matters, it can be about all, all manner of things that you know, we have office hours as faculty and we love to see students there. And um, even if it's over, if it's over Zoom, but I, I really think that it's, it's too bad that there has been a way in which this sense of the university and undergrad experience um, has, has sort of um, just elided or um, uh, repressed. I'm not quite sure what the word is here, but it absolutely is not the case that students need to know in advance of knowing, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at, right? That, and in all aspects, right? That this is where we come to learn and to think together and to ask those questions, which, as you say, are so crucial and the questions are, are, so, are so welcome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I will say, you know, ask for help. And ask for help early. Do not wait until the last minute. But even if you do, always communicate clearly with with someone. You know, it could be an instructor. You know, someone in a place like the Center for Academic Communication. And clear communication is key. They might not know. They might not know that you need help if you don't tell them. And in many many cases, we you know whatever the problem is, instructors and uh, you know educators are ready to help. Uh, if you contact them. So yeah, I, I love the name of uh, the podcast, uh, Waving Not Drowning, because of the exact same reason. I was listening to the first episode the other night, and I said, this is exactly what we want to tell students, both as, you know, uh, an instructor in Engineering 110, and also someone working at the Center for Academic Communication. Uh, please come out and we will be there for you. Yes, and we, so the wave, waving, right? And, uh, and nobody needs to feel, as you say, that they are drowning and can't, can't clearly, you know, can't ask for help. And that uh, 
we see you and we and we want to help. Well, Kava, I've so enjoyed our conversation today, and I, I'm going to be taking with me this, um, which I'm going to call a kind of metaphor, this, even though it's both literal and figurative of the super revisor, and uh, <laughs> just sort of hold on to that as, as a really good way of, of thinking about uh, moving not just through through academic studies, but also thinking about that approach uh, to life as well. So thank you so much uh, for being here. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Keva. Thank you so much for having me. Bye for now. Bye. In next week's episode, I talk with Wasayasin Christine C., an assistant professor in gender studies here at the University of Victoria. We'll be talking about finding your passion, the lifeline, and the art of starting again. I really hope that you'll join us for that conversation. You can stream Waving Not Drowning wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at UVicBounce. We'd love to hear from you. So please drop us a comment, share your ideas, your thoughts, uh, follow us, like us, and uh, please do share this podcast with anyone whom you think might enjoy listening. Until next time, be well.